Okay, good evening everyone, thanks for joining. So last week we began the machloik, we began discussing the concept of Meiser Ksafim, giving Meiser. We saw the Ramah clearly holds this is something that we do. We brought down a machloik as if it's a deraisa, a derabanon, or a minog. It seems to be that most poiskim hold that it's a minog at most, although it's considered a very strong minog and a person should keep it and one is encouraged to keep it. Now if someone never had this minog and he begins doing it, we will see, we saw a little bit last week, we'll see at the end of the share as well, that there are, there are some things he could uh, keep in mind when he accepts this practice so that he avoids many gray areas in halacha. One of the gray areas in halacha we mentioned was Machlekes, the Ramah, and others regarding what can you use Meiser Ksafim for, meaning you get your 10%, you, take, you took off 10%, and we'll discuss how you take off 10% in a few minutes, but you took off your Meiser, and now you want to give it to Tzedakah, what do you give it to? Can you give it to all types of um, chesed organizations, uh, tzedakah campaigns, or is there a specific uh, destination for this money? So the Ramah says it should be given to to Aniyim. We learned that it should include hachzaka satayr, because that is the source of Maizir Ksafim, and the, the Midrashim talk about supporting the Laim de Taira. But the Ramah says you should not use it in the performance of mitzvahs. Now there was if a person could use it for mitzvahs that they are not obligated in, meaning there was no chiv to do this specific mitzvah, a person who wants to buy an aliyah in shul or the like, there's a machlekes if that will be motor. There are those that said even the Ramah would agree. But we're going to learn that it's a machlekes. The Ramah says, no, it should only be used for aniyim, for poor people, and for achzakas atayra. That's how meiser should be spent. While other paisim said, no, a person does have the flexibility to use it for other other uh, purposes on one condition the condition is that there's no chiv that there's no existing obligation if there was already an existing obligation one cannot use meiser money to pay back his existing obligation but if in advance a person wants to now go do a mitzvah that's a voluntary mitzvah he could use meiser money for that that's the machlekes now on that how do we paskin so the Chavetz Chaim himself leaves it as a suffix it seems that the minog is to be makel, that people use Meiser Ksafim for many different things, but one should only use it for things that are not a chiv. If it's a chiv, one should not use Meiser Ksafim for that. One interesting point that we didn't mention the other, uh, the last week, and that is regarding buying alias and shul. So, according to the Ramah, if it's not going to Aniyim or Achazaka then you shouldn't do it. You should, I mean, you shouldn't use Meiser Ksafim for that. But according to the other paiskim, it seems like you would be able to use Maisek Safim for purchasing an aliyah, or purchasing mitzvahs, as they call it, in, in Shul, on Yom Taivim, whenever they sell the aliyahs. But Kiveger quotes the Shlach Kadesh, a very interesting point, and he says, let's say Ruvain bid $5,000 for Chassim Bereshis, and now you go and, and outbid him $5,500, so without your bid, Meiser or Tzedakah, the shul was going to get money anyways. They were going to get $5,000. So by you adding an extra $500 to the bid, you cannot use the entire $5,500 for Meiser. You could only use 500, you could only use the difference between you and the, uh, low, and the, the most recent highest bidder. So according to that, you should just go straight, go right into your highest bid right away. So they could use the entire, um, Pledge as Meister money. Even though you, were the, you gave a thousand dollars as your first bid, once he goes eleven hundred dollars, you're out. You, you can't use it anymore. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah. So Abraham said there are palms that went with this sock. 
Uh, Rabbi himself did not think that, that it makes sense because Tzedakah got the money from you. You gave the money to Tzedakah. Perhaps there could be a pshara, and that is if everyone in Shul was planning on using their Meiser money, so there's no more or less money being uh, you know, deducted by, by you outbidding someone else. Whatever is a final bid, that's how much money is going from people's collective Meiser to the Shul. So the Shul gained the entire amount, and I think that's a good assumption. Either way, the minig is to use Meister money for uh, for this, and we don't. Ne- most places are not choishish for the shita found in Rabbi Vegar. Okay, so that's regarding choiv. Now, once we mention this, this concept that we're going to say lechatchila, a person should only use the Meister money for tzedakah and for hachazaka zatayra. Perhaps one will only get the the guarantee of aser b'shul shetas asher perhaps it's only by and if a person is giving we didn't discuss yet. if a person is giving the best thing would be take 10% and give uh, the, the 10% to Aniim and to Satira. and the, the, anything above 10% you could give to whoever you want all types of organizations that would be the best thing for a person to see the, the results they just recently did this in, in BMG I, I believe this this is what I heard that uh, they started the Adiri Hatira where they're raising $60, $70 million to be able to pay the younger light $1,000 plus per month. But more importantly, what they did was they split the budget, where you had, this is what I heard, I don't know if it's true, this is what I heard, and I could see it being a very easy sell to, uh, to philanthropists, that the budget might be $100 million a year, but your money that you're giving to Adire Atayra, or and any Carlos should do this, your money is going directly to the Young Light. It's not going for the building maintenance, for the coffee, for the hot cups. The building has its own budget, and they have to charge tuition and the state for government, all type, you know, for uh, college credits, all types of things that they have to do to to make the budget work. But you, as a donor, you could say, I don't want to give money to Kailal X when they're going to spend it on some pizza party somewhere or some fancy parlor meeting or giving gifts uh, to donors. I want my money to go straight to the Tachzaka Satira. I want to support a younger man. So it's a very uh, interesting thing that they were able to do. And any kind that could do this, it would definitely um, help people who want to give Maisek Safim to specific uh, places. They want this to go to uh, a, a young man learning in Carlo, they want they don't want the money going to the overall budget and parking and repaving the roads. Of course, that's important. And yes, the building has its own uh, has its own needs and purposes. But I want my money going straight to support the Lime Day Tyra. Okay, but even though that's true, the minug seems to be that people will use their money for other things. But I want to point out that some things are really a chayv in life, and a person should not, even if he's going with the mekel shitas, to use his money for mitzvahs or the like, you should not use it for something that's a chayv. One example would be matanas lavyonim, where there's a chayv, a very basic obligation of giving matanas to matanas to lavyonim to poor people. So you'll ask your rabbi, you look at your uh, halacha leaflets that are around shuls, you know, perm time, you'll see what the minimum share is, $5, $10. So that amount should not be used from Maesek Safim. Anything above that could be used because you're going with the sheet that holds, you could use it for mitzvahs that I'm not obligated in. So I fulfilled my minimum obligation. Anything ab- uh, above and beyond that, I would, I would don't have to do. There's no chiv. So I'm allowed to go use Maesek Safim for that amount. Next, a very common question people ask is regarding tuition. So if you look at the tuition cost today, in most cities, most people cannot afford tuition. Tuition could be uh, $20,000 a child or $30,000 a child in, in different cities. A person has four or five kids, you, you're using $100,000 of post-tax uh, you know, earnings 
to, to pay tuition. So most people cannot afford it, and they say, okay, can I at least use my Sirksafim for paying tuition? So it's not a new Shiloh. The Shiloh is mentioned already in the Shulchan Aruch Harav, in the Balatani, he discusses using money, he doesn't talk about tuition, but he says using Meister money to support your, to, to pay for your, the Talmud Torah of your children. So as we just said, anything that's a chayv, anything that's obligatory, a person cannot use money from Meiser to pay for that. So there is an obligation. There, there are mitzvahs, midaraisa, to teach your children. Many fathers are in this mitzvah by teaching their children. But there's also uh, the concept of outsourcing it. And we send to yeshivas. So since a person has a chiv to, to make sure his children learn Torah, and the way to do it typically is through paying tuition. So it seems like one would not be able to use Meiser Ksafim for paying tuition. That's how the Archa Shochan Paskins, and that seems to be the halacha. If you look at the Balatanya himself, he says, really, you should be able to use my Siksafim because there's no chiv to go pay when I need a lulav, so I have to go get a lulav. So how do I get a lulav? I have to pay for a lulav. But here, a person, really, in the Ramam's world, the Rabbeim shouldn't really charge. Who says that a person has to go pay for Talmud Taira? And the Shulchan Archarav leaves it as a potential option of using my Siksafim for that, but he finishes off, and we had a shear about this before Pesach, that either way, we know that the Mizanois of Shaladim are Ketsuvim Lem Rosh Hashanah, Chutz, except for a few different things, and one of those was Talmud Taira, and teaching your children Talmud Taira, paying for that would not be, uh, was not going to be taken away from your income, so he encourages a person to not use my money for that. Rav Moshe Feinstein in the Tshuva says that even if it's true that a person would be able to, um, that the only reason why you're not using Maestrik Safim for tuition would be based on this concept of Shinatan Levanecha. He says, what about daughters? There's no mitzvah of Talmud Torah for, for, uh, for women, to teach Torah to women. And also, even when it comes to men or boys, at some point, let's say, you have a yeshiva that actually taught them Tanakh and everything they have to learn, and let's say at nine years old, the child already knows everything. One could argue that once he's above nine years old, or 10 or 11, then there would no longer be a chiv of teaching the child. So I could then go back to using my Sirksafim for this. So Moshe Feinstein says that since, he says very interestingly, since in America, you have to send your children to school. You cannot keep them at home. I don't know if this is true today anymore. Probably not. But you, cannot, uh, you can't homeschool the children. And therefore, they have to be in school. Once they have to be in school, it's us to send to a public school. It's, uh, they're going to teach them out the courses. And again, some out-of-town communities, they had no choice over the years. But he says, if you have an option of sending to a Beis Yaakov or to a yeshiva, it would be us to send to a public school. They're going to teach them out the courses and, and all types of things. And therefore, it goes back to being a chiv, that a person who has a daughter who, who is uh, of school age, he has to send her to a Beis Yaakov. And therefore, you cannot use my six for tuition, for Bisakov tuition, for yeshiva tuition, that would not be allowed. However, Moshe Feinstein himself says in the Tshuva, he says, well, you only have to pay a certain amount. Why? Just impossible for everyone to pay full tuition. They charge, they have a cheshben, why they charge what they charge. But he says, once you find out how much you personally should have to pay based on your financial situation, so let's say in some schools it's $5,000 a child, and that's what they expect every single parent to pay. And, and a, if a person cannot afford more, they don't ask you for more. So anything you give above that, that could definitely be used as Meister money. What about seminary? 
So Rav Sturmach writes that seminary is definitely not a chiv. You don't have to send your, your child to seminary. People view it as a chiv, a, a social peer pressure chiv, but that's not a chiv. And therefore, a person could use uh, Maisek Safin for seminary. They would have to deduct, if you look in the Chuvas, they talk about if the school provides boarding and food, so you have to deduct that. You can't use Maisek money to pay for uh, the schnitzel, or whatever, the hummus and pita in uh, Minaret Yisrael for the seminary. But whatever is going for the tuition, so to say, of the seminary, a person could use Maisek Safin for that. So, so why is that called Machazik uh, Torah, the seminary? How is that Machazik Torah? So, it only goes with, you know, according to the Ramah, you probably shouldn't because it's not Achzak Zatara or Anim. Now, maybe the seminary, the Hanhala is Anim, I don't know. But let's say, you, but but the Minog seems to be not like the Ramah, that we do allow people to use Maisek Safran for Shar Mitzvahs that don't have a Chiv. So as long as we could say you don't have a Chiv to send your daughter to seminary, in some circles they get married at 18, in some places they uh, they go so get a job. A so if a girl learns Torah, learns Gemara? Yeah, she's Mekayim mitzvah? mitzvah. Yeah, she makes a Bracha Berch in the morning and she has to know basics of Amunah, basics of Halacha, which the truth is even a 35-year-old lady, if she if she has shiurim in her in her community that she should go to that she could go to that teach halacha that teach emuna that teach hilchas uh, shabbos kashrus hafarshas chawa things that are negated to them they have a chiv to go to go here and I don't understand why it became the norm that women don't have to learn once they once they reach past seminary the truth is they don't have a chiv to learn gemara shaklevetaria but. They have to know what to do. They make a birchas every morning, according to most shitas. The reason why they make a birchas not because it's a birchas shavach, because they themselves have a chiv, lastly, to know what they have to know, which are basics in amuna, basics in halacha, hashkafa. They have a chiv to learn. The svarim store should be filled with women, uh, you know, buying books to be able to, to be able to learn and understand hamase asher Okay, so going back to the seminary, so seminary where they would be putter, uh, you don't have a chiv, and therefore you could use maise money for that. Uh, sleepaway camps could also you could use so, some some of the funds could go from could come from Isaac Safim, especially if a person thinks it's not it's not good for the child to be in the city. So he can use some of it. He can't use all of it. They're giving him sports and a good time. So a lot of it is not going for the tuition shabai. But many places can hold you can use a little. Some of the money could be used from Isaac Safim. There was a question. Yeah, two hours. Yeah, does it have to be your kid? I know somebody's doing GoFundMe for seminary, or they have these collections for you, for camps for children. It's all good. So that's even better. To pay for someone else's, that's for sure. You're for sure, uh, uh, you for sure could use Meister money. Now, grandfather to pay for his grandson is a little more complicated. The Mishnayis in Kedushan talk about that if the father can't afford it, the grandfather steps in, and the yeshivas let you know that. Um, but, but that is, uh, but other, but another person for sure. There's a, there's a definitely a mitzvah tzedakah to help a yeshiva pay. Hey, uh, it's staff. Rabbi Yossi, you had a few questions? Yeah, yeah, so you're saying that there's no chiyam, but to make this material because they are for you. Which one is that? I don't understand. One second. No, the women are chayiv and birchas atayra. It's machlekes. Look in the bir halacha and simin mem hey mem vav somewhere there. The it's machlekes. Is it because it's a birchas shavach that we're thanking Hashem? It's a praise that Hashem gave us atayra, so to say. Or women have a chiyam. They could say. If it's Yivon Ulasik B'Devetaira, they have a chiv to learn certain things. They have a chiv to learn things that are negayat to them, and they actually have a mitzvah of Lasik B'Devetaira. And it doesn't end. They make the bracha every day. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't end, you know, one day. So, so even the one that says women are is more than if they have a chiv to learn what they need to learn. Correct, correct. And the Chavetz Chaim, this is going into a whole different topic, but teaching Torah to women, the Chavetz Chaim added that we have to, he agreed to Sarashnir and to other people trying to create Beis that this is something in our door that they need. 
they need this. Now Salavechik extended it even further. He said that if women are going, the young girls are going, the young women are going to going to colleges and universities, and they're getting a tremendous intellectual stimulation from philosophy and other things, then perhaps we have to teach them Gemara and the intricacies of halacha, which the Messiah was never to teach them. But he was saying this is something that they need for their for their Yiddishkeit. So it's part of the chiv of teaching Torah to women. Obviously, that was controversial. Not everyone agrees to that, and uh, that that debate lives on till today. So. But your father made a very good point. Your father said, even though it's not a chiyah, but a mitzvah to survive. Mitzvah to, yeah. So, mitzvah, not a so, so that's good. So now that it's not a chiyah and it's only a mitzvah, I should be able to use my six yeah. often for it. Rabbi Moshe says right, the problem yeah. is for Beis Yaakov age girls, you have no choice. You can't send them to set to a different uh, public school. You can't keep them at home, according to Rabbi Moshe. You can't keep them home. So you're, you're obligated. You're obligated to, to um, send them to Beis Yaakov. And it goes back from a Rishus to a Chiev. Okay, next. What about supporting young children? Let's say um, a young child at home, an eight-year-old boy. Can a, per- can a person use his mice money to support his children? So the place to look really is in Evan Ezer. In Evan Ezer, let me just give you the Maram Hold on a second. In Simon Ein Aleph, it says, Until they are six years old, uh, a person has a chiv de araisa, according to the Gemara and Ksubis, according to the Shulchan Aruch, to support his children. And he says, even if they have other means of support, he has a chiv to feed them. Now, from that age and on, let's assume 12, 13 years old, there's a chiv at Takana de Rabban. So, under 13 or under 12, Let's assume that's what the, the Gemara is saying over there in Ksubis. A person has an obligation to support his children at home. So he definitely cannot use Meiser for that. He gets a mitzvah. The Gemara calls it. But he doesn't have, cannot use Meiser Ksafim to, to buy pizza for his kids for lunch. It seems that once you're above 13, once the children are above 13, and up until whenever, then there will be no chiv of supporting them. So a person in should be able to use Meiser money to feed his family. So if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, it seems like yes. However, the Achranim have different ways of saying that that should not be done. Ramosh Shafaitin, in a very interesting tshuva, says that, that if the children are growing, growing up with their mother in the house, so in that, and he says that's what typically happens, so in that situation, the, the husband is chayv in the ksuba, and the ksuba... As we learned previously, when we spoke about a woman giving tzedakah to her family, that a husband has to allow her to do that. He has to allow her that flexibility, the freedom to do that, because otherwise he's taking away her rights as, as a person and a standing in society. So what type of mother doesn't want to feed her children? So he has a chiv ksuba to his wife to make sure that her children are being fed. However, if she's no longer in the house, she left or something like that, or she was nifter, so then Ramosha would agree that, yes, there would be room to say, one could use Maisa money for that. However, the Pais can say two more points, which could be Rav Maisha agreed to. Number one, perhaps it's a din of dina de machusa dina. I don't know American law, but it could be that if a person has kids at home and he doesn't feed them, he, you know, he can't send them out to work. So it could be that would be uh, one, one point. And other Pais can say either way, forget about the law, forget about the ksuba. There is a minug, so to say, that we have a common practice that people do. The same way we send girls to Beis Yaakov, there is social norms that people do not make their kids go out to work in the farms when they're 13 years old and therefore a person would not be able to use maizer money for that that is considered uh, a chiv so to say i don't know if it's a chiv 
that we're going to source in the Shulchan Aruch, but as they say, the fifth chelik of Shulchan Aruch, that this is something that we do, that we, we uh, support our, our young children. However, once the children get older, then at, if, they're at, if they're no longer in the house, so then to support them, especially if they're learning, or even if they're not learning, as long as they're, they are considered aniyim, they don't have a, a, an income, so then a person could use maizer money to support his children in Kailo, to support his, uh, his children in medical school, whatever the situation is, a person could use maizer money for that. It happens to be if a person is using maizer money for, to support his children, it would make a difference if they are in medical school versus Kailo. In Kailo, a person has much more allowance to give more money because Hachzakas Atayra does not mean you have to remove them from being an Ani into, you know, borderline above Ani, above a poor person. A person in Hachzakas Atayra, you could, you, could buy your, uh, you could buy the Rebbe something, a nice car to drive, something that, that fits uh, what, what he needs, and that would be much easier to use Meiser as, you know, to write that off versus if someone is supporting a child in medical school, you don't have as much flexibility of, you know, the ceiling, it's a lower ceiling in how much you could give per month. And you can give whatever you want, but how much you would be able to use Meiser on that. Again, there's Deimach Sarei Shiyach. What? I'm not paying, what's the Chiv? So you're saying that if you can't use Meiser money for college? Yes, sir. I, I just went back to my shop this morning. Daniel says, Kefela. Yeah, but it's a chiv, you're saying. Once it's a chiv, you can't use it for my sins. So you're saying it's a chiv to pay for college? Therefore, you can't use it for my sins, right? I don't know. It's making it harder. I think if, if, there was, if we lived in a society where the only way a person could make money is to become a carpenter, and there was a certain uh, price for a carpenter school, then yes, I, I would agree that maybe there would be some type of chiv to send your son to the carpenter school and whatever cost that would be, you know, you cannot use for, my, you know, Meister money for that because that's a chiyav. But um, no one's using Meister money to support universities. I don't think it's a tzedakah. It's not a tzedakah. So we're not using Meister money for that. Um, and I don't think it's a chiyav to pay for college, but but it's a good point that there is a... Yeah, you say not tzedakah. All the famous stories, he took out the garbage. He sold to his wife. That's near. That's not Right, right, right. A person, yeah, you should always remember that. The Aruch HaShulchan writes this in Hilchus Tefillah B'Tzibar, or is it Simon Peites or Simon Sadi? He says that that a person could even do some work before before davening, because that's also considered a tzedakah, it's a mitzvah. But a person cannot use Meiser money for for uh, for that. There's a question regarding children who get allowance, or they're getting supported by their parents or in-laws, what do they do regarding Meister money? So it depends. If the allowance is given as a, a parent is giving their child money to do whatever they want with it and learn how to figure out the world of finances, they give them, I don't know, $50 a week and they say, you figure out what you want to do with this money, so then the child should be taught to give Meister Ksafim. The father's giving him, I don't know how much things cost anymore, right? Uh, uh, the, the $2 is not going to get you too far. But let's say the father gives him $5 a day to buy a drink from the store and, and that's really how much it costs, right? So. Every day the prices change. But you're giving him just enough that he could buy a soda in school or whatever, a Slurpee in 7-Eleven. You're not giving him money that he should learn the principles of finance. So then the price can say he would not be high enough to give Meiser and there would not be chinuch in that case for Meiser. The better thing would be if you give him a few more dollars to teach him you know, financial literacy and also teach him the basics of Meiser Ksafim. The same thing Lachar would apply to supporting someone in Kailo that if, if every dollar is measured, then if he's going to start giving Meiser, it's going to end up costing his parents or in-laws more money. So they should not give 
If they're getting just enough to, to, to help them with their apartment, their mortgage, whatever it is, they should not give Maisa money on the support funds. However, if the situation is that they are given a lot of money, more than what they need to go and maybe invest, start businesses or something like that, so then they are, so to say, on, on the payroll and then they should give Maisa Ksafim. So in those situations, a person has to figure out how exactly this, uh, this setup is, what's the cost of living, and if I'm giving my son now, am I going to end up just charging my parents or in-laws uh, extra next month, next month because I won't be able to make, to make ends meet? Okay, that's something that a person should take into consideration. Okay, one more question regarding using my money for something, and that is regarding going to a yeshiva dinner. So the waiter of Moshe Feinstein was asked the question, the, the, the shayel said that they are forcing all the rabbeim to go to the dinner. Not only are they forcing us to go to the dinner, they're making us pay. And um, they want to know, should we make a whole macha? Or Moshe Kedaka writes, don't make a macha, it's not worth it. It's better to just uh, to go. Uh, but they asked, can we at least use our, ma- our meiser money for the dinner? So the way of Moshe writes it, one could debate if he's specifically talking to rabbeim, but he says the following. He says that, you know, when you get your uh, tax, tax uh, deductible receipt, it says, you, uh, let's say it was $500 for the dinner, so you can only use $400 against your taxes, $100 is uh, paid for the actual food and services provided, so that is not tax deductible. So Moshe Feinstein says somewhat of the same thing, but he says we don't go by how much the dinner is worth, how much it actually costs. We don't care. We go by how much hana you got, and the hana you got was that you didn't have to eat supper. Usually you have uh, you know, two slices of bread and a can of tuna, for dinner, so that was two dollars, three dollars. So the five hundred dollar dinner, you uh, you could deduct four hundred ninety seven dollars from my sir, but the three dollars that I know you got, that you didn't have to go make a tuna sandwich at home, that you cannot use for my money. So the question is, I mean, there's a, they have an event this week in Minneapolis where there's a wine tasting and all types of uh, deluxe food, and it's one hundred and fifty dollars a person. So some people are going to eat $150 worth of food. They're going to uh, drink, drink uh, aged wine, and they're going to eat more than, uh, than, than their allotted amount. So how much do they give? Maybe they should take, they should, uh, they should, they can't give anything from Meister because they enjoyed a lot. So I'm not sure. The way that Paiskim say it is that a person has to be honest with themselves. Is this a type of meal you would go now spend freely on, if you would? So then you cannot use that amount for Misa. So if someone is willing to spend $100 to be in a, um, to, uh, to have, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet and, t- and different uh, tastings of wine, so you, you can, if you're the type of person that would go spend $100 if it was socially acceptable in your circle, then you, you would, you would uh, not be able to deduct $100 from that. You can only deduct anything above that with Misa money. But many people, they would not. Yes, they'll enjoy it if it's being offered and they would never spend money on that. They're only doing it because it's a, it's a yeshiva fundraiser. Yes, once they're there, they're going to eat and enjoy. So in that case, they would be able to deduct most of it from Meiser, whatever they, they think they would pay for that type of event, that, that enjoyable event. So then they cannot deduct that from Meiser money. In a similar way, it comes up regarding raffles. Many yeshivas do a fundraiser as a raffle. And the person discussed two di- the differentiate between do- two different types of raffles. Some raffles, like the New York Lotto, you put it in, you have, no, you have no reason to assume you're going to win. Why do people spend money on it? I don't know, but that's what people do. They put in $2 and they spend money on the raffle. They have no inkling that they're going to win. But let's say you have a closed raffle where they have one here in the, in the, uh, the Torah Academy of Minneapolis. They do 
I think it's a $100,000 raffle, or eight, no, it's $18,000 raffle, and they only sell 100 tickets. Each ticket is $1,000, and they only sell 100 tickets. When the person buys the raffle, it's not so bad. If it was in a casino, there would be people that would spend that amount to, for the $18,000 you know, the, the $18, prize. Now, it could be it's a little bit skewed, but people would theoretically gamble with, with some, you know, in a similar way. So a person has to ask himself, would I, if Tzedakah was out of it, would I actually do this? Is this something that I'm thinking, oh, there's only 100 tickets, so I have a very good chance of winning. So you have to think about how much would that cost? If you would spend $300 on a ticket for the, for the ability to win $18,000, so then you cannot use $300 for that, uh, for that, for my success. It's a very similar concept to what we just, uh, we just said before. Okay, so I want to begin the next topic. The next topic in my Sufim is now that we learned that a person should do it, it might even be a Chiyav, and where the money should go. There are two more topics in my Sufim. One topic is priorities in Tzedakah, which we touched upon, we'll get to at a later share. Just one more point, sorry, we're running priorities in Tzedakah. We're going to learn that Kroivim come first, your immediate family. Moshe Feinstein in Achuva writes that, I think it's in Achuva, he says that, let's say a person does not pay full tuition, he can't, if he has the ability to use Meissen money, he should use Meissen money specifically to the school. He's not Chayev, but it could be the school has Kadima. That's his school where he's sending his children to. And it could be it's like Kroivim versus sending it, the money elsewhere. Just an interesting uh, you know, point on tuition. The other topic that we're going to start today is how, how does a person calculate how much money they made? Meaning they're trying to give Meissen Ksafim 10% of income. So it's 10% of what? Is it gross? Is it net? And people that are involved in multiple businesses, how do they figure out when they should calculate Meister and the like? So that's a general question. The, the way to approach it, I think, is to give, give a little background information. There's perhaps two different ways how to do this. Each one has its own merit. I think a person should pick one of the two. We'll give it two different options. The two different options are, number one, as like the, the accountant type, the CPA type, he's the one who at the end of the year, he's going to go through all dollars and cents, checks and balances, and figure out how much he made from both, uh, you know, from tax purposes. And then he'll decide on an annual basis to give 10% of the net income. 10% of net income will go to my success. And if a person could do that, and you have the brains and the patience to do that, that's the best thing to do. And in that, you have to actually go speak to someone, speak to a rabbi, speak to someone, and ask him, what could I deduct from my meister? And I'll give you a few examples. Uh, income tax would not be uh, considered income. That's tax that, that, that we don't consider income, tax, income, and that's just the price of doing business, of making an income in America. And that would not be considered income for my success. Uh, the Aruch HaShachah talks about Haitzas, which, which is uh, expenditures a person did in order to, to go out to work. Included in that would be obviously office space that a person rented, even suits. If a person buys a suit for work or he buys meals for work, travel expenses, car, gas, oil changes, car washes, all those things that go into to giving a person the ability to go out to earn a living, that is all considered Haitzas. And a person would actually do the Cheshman at the end of the year, how much do they spend on all these things? And that would not be considered income. Another example would be, very interesting example, would be uh, babysitting. Let's say a person has to go out to a client. This is very common for women. They have to go out somewhere. And they know by going out, I have to go now hire a babysitter, which I wasn't planning on hiring anyways. If they have a babysitter at home anyways, to clean the house or to give them Yishavadas. So then anyways, that's not based on going out to work. But if a woman knows that I'm only hiring this 
babysitter or go, sending my kid to playgroup in order to give myself the ability to go to work, the price can say that would also be considered not, not uh, um, deductible from income, and you would not have to give meiser on that. That's one mahalach, and if someone could do that, that's the easy mahalach. If if uh, if you could do it, the other mahalach would be is you you view Hakadosh Baruch Hu as a partner, and we'll call Hashem an LP, a limited partner. A limited partner means he doesn't take in. Uh, you could do a capital call. He doesn't have to give any money. He's a limited partner. But anytime you're taking revenue, you're pulling out money from the business, then Hashem gets his cut. So I'll give an example. Let's say a person will give a lemonade. Uh, Lemonade stand or a vending machine as an example. So a person sells a soda for a dollar, he takes the dollar. Does he have to give Meister at that point? He made a dollar. Does he give 10 cents? Well, it cost him something, but let's say he made 50 cents profit on the can of soda. If he starts giving Meister, he won't be able to build a business. So he keeps the money in the business to be able to buy more sodas and scale up and use uh, any nimshal you want. So once the mo- as, as long as the money is still in the business, so he never pulled money out. If you were an equity partner, you don't have any time as, hey, where's, where's my money? We never pulled money out of the business. It's not a cash flowing, uh, you know, we're not kicking, out, kicking back any dividends yet. We are simply investing and we are, we are using all the cash flow for future business investments. Okay, they're investing in the business. Once he pulls money out, he takes, uh, takes home a dividend, pulls money out, then he has to go now give Meiser on that to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is his partner. That's simple. What gets more complicated, is let's say a person has business A, and now they've made a significant amount of money, and a new venture comes along, business B. Business B comes along, we have a million dollars sitting in cash, you know, working capital, which we don't need anymore in working capital. Let's take the million dollars of cash and we're going to buy uh, a small, uh, you know, apartment complex in, in uh, North Carolina. We're going to buy something like that. That's a down payment. We're taking a million dollars of cash from business A, and we're bringing it to business B. So if you were an investor in business A, what would you say? This is a cash event. You're pulling out money. You have plans of, of starting a new business. That's not, no problem. You know, send me the offering memorandum and I'll let you know if I want to be involved. But you did a cash event on business A. I'm the partner. I deserve my chalak. And Pasha is a person who's pulling business out of business A to start a new thing, a new venture, business B. He would have to give Meister on that. Reisman quoted from Chaim Kreisworth that Sally was a big fundraiser. He was a Hashivarav from Antwerp. He raised money his whole life. And he said that he thought that this was the problem in America where people were making money in, in one business. They were, doing, they were doing very well. Then they pulled the money and they put it into a different business, but they didn't give Meister. And there's millions and millions of dollars that are just not, uh, they are passing through Meister. That I think we could agree, we, uh, a person should give Meister at that point. What gets a little more hazy is if a person is opening a vertical within his own business. He's not opening a brand new business venture that he was in cars and now he's buying real estate. He's in cars and now he's doing uh, car leasing. He sold cars and now he does leasing. He's opening a new branch of the same business. So at that point, we would say that is all included in the working capital. So he, was, he had a grocery store, he sold milk, and now he opened a takeout in the grocery store. That, I think, uh, the Svar, the Seichel tells us he, that would not be considered a cash event. We are simply reinvesting the money in the same business. If it's a private equity portfolio with different businesses, that it's very hard to say that it's, um, it's all one big business. That gets a little complicated. But if it is clearly one business, that'll be mutter.
Now, and I'm mutter, but that would be a, a situation we would say you don't have to give maaser at that point. Let's go to real estate for, for a minute. So real estate has its own shilas. I want to start with what we just spoke about. So we'll start with a 1031 exchange. So you had a company. Now, there are two ways we could view this. One of them would be uh, like a family office where they themselves own the buildings. They buy it. They put the cash out themselves. And the rest is you know, funded by a bank. There's no investors. There's no syndicate, syndication of you know, hundreds of different people. It's them, fam, you know, the Schwartzes. They bought the, 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 the building. And now they're selling it. They're selling it at a gain. So the 1031 exchange will tell them, let's use all this money for, to purchase a similar building, and we don't have to pay any taxes on, on, on the sale. So if that's the family business, I think all the pricing would agree. That's the family business. That's their business model. It's like selling milk. They don't, they're keeping the money in the business. What gets complicated is in a syndication, when you get 100 LPs, limited partners, and they all gave $25,000 or $50,000, right? Hopefully in those cases, they get the ROI, return of capital, return of, uh, of investment, but now they want the return on investment. Now, now you sell. When you sell, each, each uh, LP, limited partner, in most, in most if you, you have to read the documents before you give $25,000, but if you read the documents, hopefully it says upon the sale of the asset, you have the option. You could put your money into the next venture, 1031 exchange, you could take the money home. You want to go make a hassle, you could pull the money out upon the sale. So at that point, there is a cash event that you have the money. Now you could choose to go now reinvest it in the next deal, but right now you have it. And a person would have to give maestro, even if they didn't pull it out. And it gets very, it gets very sticky because if you had, let's say, $100,000 in, in a syndication and you have the option of pulling it out, or everyone has the option of pulling it out, when you leave it in, you didn't get any money back. So now, where are you getting $10,000 for, for MICER? You don't have that cash. And if you did, then at some point, you're going to run out of cash. So one would have to go with the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer says, and we saw, we saw this earlier, when it comes to MICER Ksafim, since this is a, it's only a minog, a person could do MICER Ksafim on his own terms. And perhaps this is a, a newer Shaila. And we could say that the Stam is that we do this the way business runs. And until you actually get the dividend in your bank, you're simply reinvesting in the next thing. When it comes to uh, syndications, when you don't have the money to pull out, it's, it's going to the next deal. I can't. If I pull out the money, the whole deal is gone. The whole business, I can't do a 1031 exchange. If I start pulling out the money, it's just not going to work. They're going to tax me on the entire amount. So in those situations, a person could, could delay the tax to whenever the sale is, and you could push it off. That's one uh, example of real estate. Another one would be the uh, re refinancing. So if a per just by the way, when it just let's go back a second. When it comes to 1031 exchange, so let's say a person sold their own house. They bought a house, this happened there, you buy a house in Lakewood, and now you move to uh, Chicago, you move out of town. And many years later, you realize everyone moved to Lakewood, and many clearly young guys who bought houses years ago are selling their houses now, and they're making a very nice, uh, very nice return on that piece of property. So two things to keep in mind. Number one, that when we, if a person is selling house A to go step up to house B and he's personally living in that, so the person can say he's not high even meister. You're simply changing you know, your old car for your new car. You don't view, because you're using all that money for your new house. So if that's the case, then there's no chiv of meister. But let's say a person ha held it as an investment and now they're selling it much later. So the hire they'd have to give meister on the entire capital gain. So. If they're doing a 1031 exchange, we could discuss that maybe maybe the minigus to, to wait until later. 
But if they're not doing a 1031 exchange, they want to know how much do I have to give. Ramosh Feinstein has a fascinating uh, chiddush, and I don't think anybody argues with him. He says that when it comes to being Adam Machaveira, in Hochus Ribis, in Hochus Hezek, all types of halachas, we ignore the, the inflation rate and we ignore the actual value of money. We go by the nominal amount. So uh, you, you stole a dollar, Five years later, you pay back a dollar. You don't say, well, the inflation rate is 20%. You have to pay back, let's say it was, uh, you know, one year, a dollar 20. We don't say that because when it comes to Ben we we go by the nominal amount. However, in Adam Makaim, a person could and has the flexibility to say, Hashem, I didn't make any money on this house. I bought a house in 2005, whatever, whatever the year was, 2014, okay? And the inflation rate is exactly the amount that I'm making on the sale. So I didn't make anything. I bought a piece of property. The value in gold or whatever you want to you want to use it, that value is X amount. It didn't go up. Just the dollar went down. The the buying power of the do- the purchasing power of a dollar went down. What we know as inflation, and therefore a person could deduct whatever he, he, he could assume inflation is from his capital gain. So a person has to know what exactly that is. Do you go by the CPI? Do you go by there's a website called Trueflation? They have their own hedgeman of how to how to calculate inflation. But that would be something um, that it, it, it definitely helps people because when you're selling a home, the own they bought 30 years ago in in Borough Park, and now you're selling it for a big gain. You don't necessarily have to give Meister on the entire capital gain. A lot of it is going to be eaten up by inflation, and you don't necessarily have to give a give on that. So, so if you're selling an investment to buy another investment, that's that's just like selling a house to loan another house. You 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 put aside this money to be working for you, or it's like it's like your own. Let's say your own business. You're selling you're selling uh, um, uh, milk, and now you're selling eggs. So why, when you sell your stock to buy another stock, why would you be chayiv mice? You saying you should be mechuyimaisa by the stocks you or not? You should not be. So I would say like this: if a person has a portfolio, he's a hedge, he has a hedge fund. That's his business. No, it's his own portfolio. No, but his business is he he, he has ten thousand dollars that he wants it in the market. He sees a stock that he wants to get out of, but he knows he's buying another stock with the same money because he needs this ten thousand dollars to work for him. So so what's his hedge fund or not? It's like buying a house. So I would say the, the I would say the let's let's ignore the this this chap uh, with the living part as far. According to what we said, really, you should have to give, at that point, there was a, there was a cash event, the ta- and taxes is going to hit him, that he had a capital gain, he sold a stock many years later, he's going to have a capital gain now, long-term capital gain, but but in halacha, we could say the minig is to wait until you finally actually cash out of the, of the stock before paying miser. That's fine. There's a chiddush to say, and again, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see a good riot to this, but that's what all the places can say. That if a person sold, you know, bought his house in Bar Park, he lived there for 20 years, now he's moving to Tom's River, and he made money on the house, but it's going straight into the other house. He simply, he, it was never a vehicle of, of, of investment. It was a home that he lived in. It's not an investment vehicle, and therefore he would have to, uh, he would not have to be, he would not be chayv and miser on that. I can hear others arguing. I, I hear very strongly why he would say, what do you mean? At the end of the day, you made money on this, on this piece of property. You Shlachai would have to sell it. Well, just a few more halachas regarding real estate. When, when, uh, when you're looking at the taxes, now the taxes also, they pick up on this. When you look at money coming in, let's say you have a, you have a mortgage. So we're talking about an investment property here. So let's say the debt payment, the debt servicing is, I don't know, we'll give a number, $20,000 a month. So one could look at it as, as, as saying that's an expense. I'm not getting that money back. That, it's, not, it's, not gonna, it's not going to hit my net operating income because there's debt expense to the bank. So 
let's say the company brought in $100,000 of free cash flow on the property, one could think, okay, we only have to give Meister on the $100,000 because the rest of it went to property management and it went to debt servicing. However, debt servicing is not a cost. It's really you're paying the bank back for, for, for this property. You're buying another, you're using that money to pay down the loan. So you, up until this point, you had 20% of equity in the building. After this year, you have 21% equity in the building. How'd you get the extra 1%? You used money from the loan pay down to, to, uh, to get more equity. Now, taxes, they, they do understand this, and they do view it as income because you just, you just used it uh, to get equity. And Halakha Ravazner, and many places say this would be the same thing. Again, if a person has enough liquid cash to pay the miser, but yet the cheshman, that that is also a gain. That the, the, the loan pay down is also considered a, a, a income because it gave you money to go pay back the bank. The interest would not, and the tax also, that's not considered tax. That, that would not be considered income uh, when it comes to that interest. Another quick shot, another quick uh, point. There's a question regarding a uh, refinance. So there's when a person refinances their own home, they do a cash out refinance. Let's say they bought a home for $200,000 and now it's worth a million dollars. So they could do a cash out refinance up to let's say 80% of the equity in the home. They're getting a check in the mail and the, the check's gonna say $700,000, right? Whatever the number is. So is that income? So on a personal loan, it's not. You owe the money to the bank, it's not income. You gotta be careful with that. You, you just took out a loan against your house, which is nice, but hopefully you got a low interest rate and it's secure, but that is not considered income. The exception to this would be for those that are investing in syndication properties or even any non-recourse debt where you don't really owe the money. I mean, the banks are finding that out the hard way, you know, in the office space, you know, this, uh, in this economy, no one owes the money. The bank is literally giving back money based on the what the asset's going to produce. So an LP, a limited partner who does not, his, his name is not on any loan. He invested $25,000 into the syndication. And then after four years, they bumped rents up, they did value add, and now they do a cash out refi on the new valuation of the property. They're giving back to investors the original money. The halach is those investors have to give Meiser on that. It's not a regular refinance that they took out a loan on their own house. There's no loan. The GP or whoever's signing it, the, the syndicator, the, the key principal, he has to take a, he, he might have to have had to sign his name on it. Or you could say that the business took out a loan on that. So the money that went to the, the GP, he doesn't have to give Meister on that because that's a loan. But the LPs that are pulling out money on a cash out refi, that is income and they would have to be, uh, they have to give Meister on that. Okay, there's more to discuss, but I think we went through a lot of the different uh, examples. Of, of cash outs, of dividends, of stocks. And uh, again, it's always good to ask a Shiloh, but if you go with the aside that whenever I'm pulling out money as a dividend, as, as revenue, then I have to kick the money to the partner, the one who makes everything happen, the 10%. But if it's staying in the business, so then, or it's a loan, it's not, it's not a cash, it's not an income, then I would not be high enough to give my success on that.